Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the, oh look, another offside goal of the podcast. Champions of offside goals, you'll never sing that. And I'm joined by the Rafinha goal of the podcast, Tom Alderson. Everything he touches turns to gold. And finally, the Robin Koch at number eight of the podcast. What's he doing here? It's Tom Woodhead. Tom, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'd, I'd rather be... The Robin Cock at eight, and we all know how it worked out for Midas, didn't we? <laughs> That's right. It's yet another Tom episode, so please bear with me. But Tom Alderson, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm a bit annoyed that the match was on Friday night, to be honest, because I just looked at the football for the rest of the weekend, and it's all terrible. Like, I what and what are we supposed to do with our lives now, apart from watch football? I was just watching the Bayern Munich game against Stuttgart before we started recording and there's rumours that there might be a title challenge in the Bundesliga and Bayern went down to 10 men after 10 minutes and by the 24th minute it was 3-0 to Bayern. So. <laughs> it's never great when you have to have rumours about a title challenge, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But far, far from a title challenge, the game yesterday against Fulham was very much about relegation battle, at least on one side. And fortunately, it wasn't us. Uh, but it was nice to have a win under our belts. And let's begin in the traditional manner with a how did that feel? So Tom Alderson, how did that feel? It felt pretty good, to be honest. I've got, I've got to say, watching it back, it felt a lot calmer than it did when I was watching it. Like We were very good for the first half an hour. Um, obviously, well, and then we scored. And then after that, they just... I, that like the end of that first half felt really stressful and weird, and then I just I felt like it was quite an open game when I was watching it for the first time that second half. But looking at back, like outside of that fifteen minutes at the end of the first half, they really didn't cause as many problems. There was one I think that Luckman had a chance, um, which I think he, he probably should have done better with. And but like I think we we were good without we were controlling. I thought was the word to describe it. And I think it's it really made me think of the games at the start of last season when we had four sure playing and we just looked in control without without creating a lot but I, I wasn't it really didn't feel as um well I didn't feel like I should I was justified to be as worried as I was last night when I was watching it back yeah that was very much my experience as well uh watching it through and I think 
in any of these games where you're essentially getting two teams who are going to be pressing high, uh, you're, you're going to see sort of quite a lot of breakdown. I saw a lot of people on the timeline yesterday just complaining about Leeds giving away fouls, but you know that is just part and parcel of what's going to happen when you're getting close to your man and, and, and stepping in, trying to get the ball. Tom Woodhead, how about you? How did that feel for you? I spent most of the first half in a sort of vague rage over the disallowed goal, not because it was a bad decision. It, it was it was offside, but I'm just getting really sick of um, offsides, you know, the, the whole playing on when it's clearly offside thing. It, it, it's really starting to ruin my enjoyment of Leeds games when I don't feel like I can really celebrate a goal and get that spontaneous moment of joy. So... I think I barely even celebrated our first goal when it went in because I was just waiting for some uh, technicality to pull it up and I'm just getting a bit sick of it to be honest so bring the fans back in so we can at least boo the hell out of it when it happens again <laughs> but obviously it was great it was good to win yeah I feel as though we should get the Alioski complaints out of the way early on uh, we've already talked about him a little bit before we came came live but um who wants to who wants to I mean Tom Woodhead you've you rewatched the the first half and I think all of us had the same experience of rewatching the first half, which was <laughs> that is one of the worst performances we've seen from a Leeds player probably ever. So do you want to talk <laughs> us through it? I mean, God bless him. He, he was truly awful. Like, <laughs> I, And I, I try not to be too critical of players because players do good things and bad things in games usually. But nearly everything Alioski did last night was bad. Um, he, he, he maybe picked the right pass and played it three or four times. And, and that's about as much as you can say. He was constantly making mistakes. He was constantly um making baffling decisions like choosing to half volley it in a sort of loping motion back towards the keeper (laughs) (laughs) always putting his teammates under pressure giving away corners which we always we know is a terrible thing and you know I think it's a it's unfortunate that this is the one position in the team where I don't think we really well, it's not the one position. There's quite a few positions in the team, but this is a position in the team where we don't really have much recourse to anyone else at the moment. So, because we want to keep Dallas in midfield, I think I think you two would probably agree with that. So, we kind of stuck with him for a little while. Yeah, I think usually when a player plays badly, it's because they don't do things right. But he, it felt as though he was actively doing things wrong. Like he was creating chances for the opposition rather than you know sort of falling over and then the opposition creating a chance so I thought that that was just a a sort of remarkable um a remarkable performance in that respect I will say that Alioski is not the kind of player where I think he'll let it get to him in the next game I don't think his brain really works that way I think every every day is a new start for Gianni so um (laughs) I think um yeah, he'll be all right. There's been a few people making comments about how, you know, this contract situation is is looming large and 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 there's rumors of him going to Galatasaray, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I just wondered if he, either of you, I'll go to you Tom Alderson, whether or not you thought that was maybe impacting because there's a lot of people just saying, "Oh, you know, Alioski's given up now. He just doesn't seem bothered uh, about playing for the team." Which I, I mean, I'm I'm always a little bit hesitant to to talk about these things. But do you think anything like that is is getting into his head? He's sort of, you know, leads us safe. He's on his way out. He's just sort of cruising for the for the rest of the season. I don't think that's the case. I think he's just he's he's always struggled in games before, hasn't he? When he's put under pressure, and this one we just seen was an absolute anomaly where he was just making mistakes because he was not very good really um it's, it's, it's a difficult one to answer just to say but i don't know because there was talk about him getting a contract wasn't there 
and then it suddenly all seemed to have flipped on its head and um, he's going to get well seems to be going to Galatasaray right now and I wonder if either what, what what's caused that if that is true what has caused that either has, has he decided he wants to do that or if the club changed the mind which would be a bit of an unusual move to make yeah I, I suspect he he was it was made very clear to him on no uncertain terms that he was not going to be the first choice in any position and I guess he's got what do they say one big last contract in him so I suspect it's it's mainly to do with that but rather than just completely digging out Alioski I did want to I did think the the two centre-backs for um, that 15 minute period looked a little bit shaky too and I think a lot of this comes down to the fact that when you're uncertain about things suddenly defending becomes a lot harder um, as soon as people start second guessing things and, and when you're when you're a left back is sort of bombing balls into, <laughs> into the box um, no doubt you're you're gonna you're gonna feel a little bit shaky as well so I thought it was it was only fair to say that I thought that there was a little bit of shakiness across that back line after the after their first goal went in and obviously we're going to talk about set pieces as well but I just think the idea that Alioski isn't trying I think is nonsense I think the minute that Alioski isn't trying he's out of the team because that's the main thing that he brings is his He's always constantly trying relentlessly and he's and he's got incredible stamina there, by far his strongest attributes. And I think if he's not showing that, then there's no way Bielsa's going to pick him. So I, th- I think the not trying angle just doesn't wash for me. I wonder what Bielsa actually said to him when he had that little chat to him on the side. <laughs> like, whatever it is, it did not work. And <laughs> I suspect he did tell him to, to calm down a little bit. but um, Because it, like you said, Tom, it, there is no doubt that he, that, that he is going to be trying... Uh, the problem is sometimes that he tries too much, I suspect, rather than he doesn't try enough. So, um, But it will be interesting to see how, how it goes. And I do think, as you've said, Tom Alderson, a lot of this comes down to the fact that if you put um, Alioski under pressure, then he, he, he does tend to sort of, uh, it, it does tend to exacerbate some of his, his weaknesses as well. But uh, we did have a question actually about um, whether or not we thought that so this is from James Kay he said any thoughts on giving Leif Davis a chance at left back given Alioski is so clearly a weak link and um, we spent a little bit of time before the podcast recording just trying to work out if Leif Davis was injured which we think he is um, feel free to correct us on that but I thought we would frame this as a hypothetical and and ask you know with with the situation being as it is and Leeds pretty much safe whether or not we'll see maybe uh, a youngster coming through and just being given some time at left back um Niall Huggins is another name that that has been thrown out there um Jamie Shackleton has played I think at left back at, at um in one of those games where everyone played everywhere I can't remember was that Southampton I can't remember who who was that maybe it was somewhere else but um I wondered if uh, either of you had any thoughts on the idea of playing a young youngster at left back given the game yesterday. I, I'd be interested to see it at least, but um, I think Bielsa's very big on players having to earn their spot. And if they're not quite doing as much as Alioski is in training, even if Alioski's not been doing it in games, I think it's unlikely they'll get starts. But I, th- that I think Huggins and Davis are two quite different players like Huggins reminds me when he played when I've seen him play at left back very much of Dallas in that he uses a lot of one twos to progress up the pitch and give and goes and things like that so I think that could be an interesting option if we want to try and replicate having Dallas at left back while also having Dallas in midfield at the same time Um, and then Davis is obviously more of a conventional player who seems to be very very quick but I'm never quite sure how good he is on the ball or not um, and whether he would be able to offer that attacking threat Um, I've never quite seen him against high calibre opposition for enough minutes at a time to make a decent judgment on that. 
I know Josh Hobbs is is quite critical of of Leif Davis, and um, he he thinks a lot of this comes down to the fact that he sees him as being mainly quite a pacey player, um, and that sort of influencing people's opinion of him. I don't know if you have any thoughts on on this question, Tom Alderson. I don't have any huge opinions on it, really. I, I kind of agree that I think I, I'd be quite happy to just have someone else to have a go, considering how poor Alioski's looked. I actually can't remember the last time I watched a game prop, like with Leif Davis in and actually thought, and like looked at him and thought about what he was doing. Because I think he played the City game, didn't he, towards... He came at the City home game. We played him at centre-back a lot, I think, which is part of the confusing thing here. I, don't, I literally don't know enough about either Huggins or, or Davis, but I'd be quite happy to see him get a run out now that we are pr- pretty much safe. And I think last night was the first time I actually felt like we're properly safe as well. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's one of those ones as well where it's not even like you're looking for a replacement player. Are you just literally literally looking for a base average player who's going to come in and just not make those mess ups that you see um saw yesterday so but let's move on um i'm, I'm conscious that we, we've spent the last 10 minutes talking about how bad alioski is so um let's let's just let's just have a look at the the, quick, the more general questions that we were sent in as always thank you for all your questions we had way too many to fit them all in so do bear with us but um plenty of good questions in there i just wanted to start with a few questions just about the the game in particular because i thought it was quite an interesting game in terms of the tactics or at least what was happening uh, on the field so tom kenny 1919 says another game where we had less possession but ended with a positive result performance a change in tactics or approach are we get or are we getting a bit cuter um richard lang said was playing over the press as we did in the second half following the awful 15 minutes pre-half time, the main factor in us conceding the majority possession. And is this good considering our record when we have the minority possession in games? So both questions about the fact that we seem to do okay when we have less possession. Um, so Tom Woodhead, what did you make of, of the, the possession situation? I think it was one of those things where we usually defer to the opposition a little bit in this regard. I think if the opposition are happy to just get the ball and attack straight away then we will do the same thing whereas if the if the opposition get the ball at the back and um and are reluctant to commit men forward then we'll uh tend to build a lot more um i i thought as it wasn't just the second half to be honest the, fir- the those first 30 minutes where i thought we played really really well we were playing a lot of long balls in behind it wasn't constant but we were keeping possession at the back and then but then quite often Llorente or um or Strauk or uh, Ailing would uh, lump a long ball forward for someone to chase, and sometimes they came off, and sometimes they didn't. It was, a, I think, it was a clear tactic from the start. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, we had a conversation about this yesterday in the group chat, and I watched back the game, and I think what did change. I agree with you. I do think that we were playing long balls. We were looking to try and get in behind. I think what did change in the second half for me was that we were way more likely to not try and build up. So we would we were passing the ball around the back in the first half, and then one of the centre backs would would kick it long. But I feel like in the in the second half, we what we went for is that rather than allowing Fulham to sort of push forward and and pressure our, our build up at the back, and then just going long because we couldn't deal with it, we were going back to Ali, uh, going back to Melier, uh and quite quickly, and he was going long, and we were what we were doing is we were putting the ball into a sort of midfield area. And then counter pressing it, which I don't think we were doing quite so much in the first half. And so I think the what we what we were trying to do there, I think, was just because we weren't able to find space in behind with them sitting deep, we were just bypassing their press, but putting it in between their defence and their midfield, uh, and then relying on our press to win the ball back and then 
create out of the out of the um the chaos that ensues when you win the ball in those areas um whereas i think in the more in the in the first half it was a case of when their keeper had the ball they would try and build it up out of the back and we were just high pressing so it felt like a little bit more of a counter pressing game in the second half and obviously the the second goal comes from that kind of counter press scenario um where where phillips just pushes up and we win the ball back and as a result of the of the defensive structure that was the result of of being in the um in that situation where they've just turned the ball over we were able to to make something of it so I, I do think that there was um there was a change in tactics but I don't think it was quite as as obvious as I thought it was yesterday for sure the second half was very similar to the Southampton game wasn't it um and the first half I think before in the first half an hour I actually don't think they got out of their half very often and they are their build-up when pressed is makes ours look good. <laughs> yeah, especially I mean, Joachim Anderson, I thought was really flaky on the ball, and um, we we got quite a, quite a lot out of there. But I agree, we we did we just kept we relentlessly pressed them in the first half, and they they couldn't get out. And that's what I think what was so frustrating for me about the game was that it feels as though we put a huge amount of effort into to dominate a game there, but we just didn't create many chances, and then they created way better chances than we did in that first half overall taking out of account the the offside goals uh, just by lumping the ball in the box and then not letting us get out of the box just by constantly putting the ball back in and and just sort of uh, exacerbating that chaos as well but it was nice to see us I think come out in the second half and just be a little bit more calm and 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 not really I don't know like you say the, the Southampton game is a nice um, correlate because I think that's what we did in the Southampton game. We just sort of came out and were, and were like, let's just not mess around with it at the back. Let's just get it forward and, and not give them the chance to structure their press in any way. And it, it did seem to make a bit more of a difference. Um, obviously, the other thing that made a big difference was they brought off uh, Madger and, and brought on Mitrovic, which I think most people now would think looks like an obvious bad choice from from Parker. But I think, you know, Parker had realised that the best chances he's, his team were getting in the first half were from lumping the ball in the box and, and making the most of the chaos that ensued. So I think their their plan was largely to just sort of target man him and hope to get on the second ball as it fell, fell, fell through on the... Um, on, on off his head or off his body or anywhere. I thought that was a weird one actually because like Stroik and Lorente especially were really struggling with Madger. I can, I can kind of get why he brought Mitrovic on, but to take off, he was causing Madger was probably causing us the most problems after Luckman. So I I can see why he did it, but it just I think it really made it easier for our centre backs in the second half. Yeah, I think our two, two centre backs were struggling because we they were being put into positions of uncertainty and then they had these little players nipping around in between them and, and picking the ball up. So uh, one of the one of the chances that, that came was the one where Urente refused to deal with it and then Strauch had to sort of come across, tried heading it back to the keeper but didn't see the player in behind him who was coming through and uh, Melier had to dig him out there. And um, again, you, you've got the, the other thing, which is the fact that we because we get close to our men in the marking system, we, we saw... Strout getting turned quite easily for that magic chance, um, where you're you're sort of encouraged to to press pressure the player and get the ball, but then you can get rolled quite easily. And I think in that sort of situation, when you're in the box, you've just got to stand up and 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 prevent that turn rather than trying to win the ball back. So maybe a little bit of um, uh, immaturity there from Strout as well. But um, there's just a few situations where you, you as soon as one of the centre-backs looks a little bit uncertain then then both of the centre-backs look a little bit uncertain especially um, backwards defending in the way that they were and there's, there was one chance where 
uh, again, Llorente had a chance to, to just head the ball back to the goalkeeper and he didn't deal with it properly. And then suddenly, again, you have Madger running through and, and causing those problems. So, um, yeah, I think that's that the worrying thing is, is that, you know, even against teams like Fulham, who are largely speaking not particularly great um, when they're put under pressure, like we've said, when when you have teams like that who can just get the ball into set piece scenarios and just dink it in there and then just wait for the chaos to ensue, it's it's just really frustrating. And I know we we're going to talk about set pieces later on, but this is a, this is the whole the whole issue is that we are so bad in those situations. I think because the man marking situation means that you end up just orientating yourself to men, and so you end up with spaces that become quite easy to attack if you're the opposition. It just becomes about who's going to get to the loose ball first. Um, and I think if you're again, if you're orientating yourself to a player, you're always responding to their movement, and so you're always going to be slightly behind where they are. Uh, and so in those situations, when when you're putting the ball into dangerous areas, it's always a case of you know, anticipating where the opponent is going to be rather than anticipating where the ball is going to be, which is what you do in a zonal system. But we'll talk about the set pieces in a moment. Let's just talk a little bit more about some of the tactical stuff. So um, Andre said, what made the press so effective today? Um, Tom Woodhead, we haven't heard from you from a bit. So from you for a bit. So yeah, I thought the press was really good yesterday. What did you, what did you make of that? I agree. It was very, very good. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure what, the reasons were, to be honest, but it, it did seem that all the players individually just were very, very switched on. Um, they were they were ch- uh, exchanging men at exactly the right time when they needed to. Um, all the pieces seemed to be fitting together. Harrison had an extremely good pressing game yesterday. I thought um, their uh, Fulham's right back was having real, real problems dealing with him in the first half, especially. I think, um, and I f- yeah, I find it hard to say exactly what the reasons were, but. I just think we weren't carrying any passengers in that press uh, yesterday. Sometimes we have one player who's just not quite on it um, and that can cause the entire thing to break down, but there was none of that yesterday. So it showed, I think, what our press can be when we get it right. Um, And and it's almost more of a, we're used to seeing it now, but I think if, if you're not used to playing against that kind of thing and when it all clicks like it did yesterday, it's incredibly difficult to play against. Yeah, and I think largely Fulham didn't look like they had much in the way of a solution to that problem, even though they did have the out, outlet of you know a few set pieces, but we really, really made them look quite average at times in in the game, and I think that was because they are so used to sort of trying to build up from the back and and are given space and time to to be able to do that. Um, and I suspect part of it comes down to the fact that neither of their two centre backs are particularly good ball playing centre backs. Uh, they weren't given a huge amount of time on the ball, and it it just becomes so hard when you're constantly being overrun to to really do anything about that. So um, let's move on and talk about the. So we had a question from Galti who said that 15 minutes before half time, did anything specifically change in Fulham's setup to cause the shift in the balance of play? We seem to lose control. Tom Alderson, what did you make of the, the 15 minutes? Because Bielsa mentioned this as a sort of period of uncertainty, I think is what his words were. Yeah, which we, we kind of, we scored and then almost sat off a little bit more and just let them get out. I think they had a couple of chances where their centre backs actually dribbled out. I don't know. I think it was during this period, uh, which were actually just moments of sort of quality from their centre backs more than anything. I wouldn't I was thinking about this last night and I was like maybe because Bamford was carrying the injury and he did say in his post match that he he just couldn't uh press as much as he he could, um usually can. I wonder if it was a almost like we they decided to set um to sit off a little bit just because Bamford physically couldn't do that press that we did so well for the first first half an hour. 
Um, but I, I agree with Tom as, um, as well about Harrison. I thought he was his press was unbelievable yesterday. And part of the reason I think maybe the press was so good is that if they did finally beat it, I think Phillips was really good. And I think anything that did get back the press, the press, he usually just cleared it up. Yeah, everything sort of worked well today. And I think we had the right personnel to be able to do that. You know, I think Calvin Phillips, we're going to again talk about him later on, but this is the, absolutely the sort of game that he loves where his, 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 he is basically just that mobile defender who is, his job is to clean like firefighting clear clear up and he did really really well yesterday and I think sometimes when you know when we when we are playing those sort of slow build-up games where you know his job is to essentially do really dull build-up stuff where he's sort of linking between the outside centre-backs and the and the full-backs and and is not being given really the chance to turn um sometimes you kind of look at it and think you know it's you could put anyone in there, in there, and they'd be fine. But a game like yesterday, where there is a level of chaos, and um, and and you are seeing someone who needs to be able to be really mobile, really good, moving from pressure to pressure, he's just absolutely outstanding. And I think it's funny. The game yesterday felt very much like a championship game for me. Um, and I, I thought what was interesting about that was that you know it's players like his players like Phillips and and Harrison who stood out who played well in the championship as well who were able to do that that those sorts of jobs in in those sort of chaotic games where it's all about sort of constantly maintaining pressure and uh, I thought that was quite interesting as well I, I would just say as well um uh the 15 minutes before half time I think situations like this we do miss Liam Cooper uh who I think is a player that knows when to calm things down uh, or when to speed things up. I think he's got a very good innate reading of the tempo of a game. Uh, and and what you were saying before that we had some kind of indecision and confusion between Strauch and, and Llorente. And I think if, if Cooper had been in for either one of those players, he would have just been saying, look, let's just calm it down. Uh, and, and I think his choices of when to play the ball long and when to play it short are underrated at times. And they would have really helped us in, in, in those 15 minutes, I think. And in those 15 minutes, even watching back, the majority of the chances, as we've said, have come from sort of set pieces. So free kicks and, and, and corners. And one, Cooper is probably our best defensive header of the ball. Uh, and two, when you don't have Cooper, it's not that we're, it's not that we're suddenly just replacing him with someone who's going to be as good. You end up shifting. And this is going to be something we'll talk about with the set pieces. You end up shifting all of your best headers down a tier or up a tier. And, and you end up with having players like Luke Ayling who, who, people are being quite critical of these days in those situations having to mark a player who is higher than the player the, the, the quality of the player in terms of heading in those situations than he usually is and th- this is the this is the problem that we're seeing when you when you have Cooper and Strauch in there you know that their two best um, headed heading players are going to be marked by those two and and then you sort of you rely on the fact that most teams aren't going to have great headers all the way across the board and as soon as you lose Cooper then you push Strauch up to the the top or you have him there at the top and then we can't I mean we saw this in the last few games with Urente. he's 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 not great yet with the with the man marking system from set pieces so yesterday in the first half we saw Urente marking Anguissa who was on Melier so you're basically using one of your centre-backs as a, a, a protective player whose whose job is to just push the the attacking player away from the goalkeeper so you've taken already one of your centre-backs out of the equation. And so you're already down to, to your, I guess, you know, Ailing is a sort of semi, semi-centre-back, semi but you're, you're, you're taking players who normally in most teams would be those better headers of the ball and you're moving them into more static positions and you end up with this scenario where, you know, some of your, your better headers of the ball are coming from areas of the field where you wouldn't usually have them. And um, I mean, I've, we've basically moved into set pieces. So <laughs> we may as well 
uh, start talking about this. So lot, lots of questions about set pieces, obviously. Um, Brolin ate the pie says, is there some function in the man marking at corners that is creating chances for the opposition, i.e. is the system being exploited by specific opposition tactical changes at the set piece? Um, I don't know if what you guys think about this, but you know, this is, this is kind of the thing with man marking at corners. Um, and I think maybe something that I want to talk about a lot is because we, we often hear people saying, oh, you know, this is the problem with man marking as though any team doesn't use man marking at corners. Every team uses man marking at corners. You'll have two or three players on the back post who come in and, and man, man mark on corners. And yes, you can argue that with a, with a zonal system, you're going to have some people in those zones. So you'll have sort of double coverage on those areas. So the goal against uh, West Ham where, where Dawson comes into the back post in a zonal system, you'd probably expect one of the zonal markers to pick that one up. But, even if the zonal marker doesn't pick that ball up, you've still got the same situation where you've got a man marker losing their player and then suddenly a player becoming free. This happens all the time in, in zonal systems. So I just thought I would say that. I think the, the issue really is that it's it's really hard to 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 mark <laughs> and man mark because of what I said before, is, is that you're always responding to the movement of someone else. So you're you're however good a, a, a defender you are, you're always going to be in in a second best position. You're having to respond to someone else's movement and you can't respond to that until they've moved. And so you're always going to be a, a couple of seconds behind. So but well milliseconds let's say in, in this sense. But yeah, Tom Woodhead, what what do you make of the of the sort of whole man marking thing? Because every time we concede a goal these these days it comes back to this debate about should should we, we be man marking from corners? It's funny how the debate has changed over the last 15 years or so, isn't it? Because it always used to be that zonal marking was the thing that all the uh, all the football, all the uh, you know, the proper football men would say, Oh, you can't have zonal marking. This is what happens when you have zonal marking. And now, when Leeds are one of the teams who are doing a lot more man marking than most, that it's getting criticized as though it's some um new fad rather than actually <laughs> it's the older thing to do, isn't it? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, it's one of those areas where I feel a little bit unqualified to pass too much comment because I've never seen us it, under Bielsa do a full zonal system. So it it might be even worse, and and I I don't have any I don't have any great reasons why it would be better if that makes sense. Um, and we have made tweaks to the to the way we've defended from corners. I I saw recently. Um, it might have been in the Chelsea game that one of the commentators was talking about um, oh, why is Harrison just standing in front of the corner taker, um, you know, like <laughs> yeah, a, 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 and, and complaining about that and say so he, he's doing nothing there. But I think there were two or three occasions in in the game yesterday where Harrison was able to instigate a quick break because he was in exactly that position. So there are reasons for all this stuff. I do think Ailing struggles a lot with being very tight to his man in these situations. I don't think. Um, I think there've been quite a few, and it's not just been set pieces. There've been a couple of open play goals where Ailing, when he's very, very close to his man, I think he's just not quite as quick off the mark as some other players are in these situations. And you, and you know me, I love Ailing, and I'll, I'll, you know, I, I'm very reluctant to criticise him for things, but I think he does struggle in these situations, and perhaps they maybe need to consider bumping him down in the pecking order a little bit. But, but equally, who would you bump up? Well, this is what happened in the game yesterday, right? So they moved Llorente from basically guarding Anguissa and, and pushed him into that slot. And so he was taking up that position. But the only reason that Llorente was there because is because we bumped him down a few weeks before. So you, you end up just sort of like solving problems by creating other problems. And I, I guess the, my question to you guys then would be, well, if we think about it in terms of, I, th- I think this is, this is a situation. Bielsa has a man-marking system that he utilises off the ball. I think he, he wants to stick to that because... For, for corners and, and set pieces because 
it's just natural to do that, right? You don't, you don't want to be in a situation where you're marking zonally from a corner and then suddenly the ball's in open play again and everyone's man marking the wrong player and suddenly you've got this entirely different man marking, man marking system going on, um, where, where, where your zonal players have to try and find their men. So I think that's the, that's the reason why he does it because he's doing the general man marking anyway. Um, the question then becomes, well, who are the best headers of the ball in this or, or defensive headers of the ball in, in this team? And the problem is, is that we've got two and it's Cooper and Strauch and that's it. Um, I guess Robin Koch, Koch is, is, is going to be potential, but don't, let's not forget that Robin Koch has had a few games early on this season where he looked absolutely abject from, from corners as well. I don't think he's suddenly going to come in and be the solution. And part of the problem is, is that you look at defenders and think, well, they're good at heading, so they should be good at this. But the issue isn't heading. The issue, the issue is like tracking movement and responding to movement and, and, and predicting where players are going to be moving. So I'd put, I'd put it to you guys. Like once you get past Cooper and Strauch, like where are the, where are the good headers? And then as soon as you're in that situation, take one of those two out, and then you end up with this situation where they are going to have their second best header marked by someone who isn't going to be very good at, at, at man marking. Essentially, I think this is one area where Pontus Janssen was very very good. Um, I think uh, in terms of that sort of reactive defending. Uh, almost like Radaby style if you if you if you're going back in Leeds history I think um it's but obviously there are pluses and minuses to everything and we're we're bringing in players based on a lot more than whether they can defend well in the box on corners so <laughs> uh, I, I I sort of wonder if if Phillips could I I it could maybe play a slightly more active role in these situations I don't think he's particularly poor in the air um and and I think he is quite good at um, following his marker, so, uh, following his man, sorry. So, but again, I'm sure anything that we possibly can say about this, it's been discussed multiple times, um, and they've decided still that this is the best solution, and and they're probably right. Absolutely. The only other thing that I've potentially thought of is that we. So Brian Williams said, "Can we have at least one man attacking the ball at, at corners, please?" And um, I would say to Brian, "Well, we have two men attacking the ball at corners. One of them is Rafinha, the other one is Bamford." And Bamford digs us out a lot, actually. Um, he did it a few times yesterday. Anything that comes in near post, he's going to clear out. And I think the reason why Bamford is played there is because you want your strikers to be a free man in that respect, because then you want him to push forward and you don't want him to be necessarily worrying too much about tracking a man in a, in, in, when the ball is now in open play. And you've, you've suddenly got a situation where, you know, you're, you're, forward is, is probably marking one of their, their centre backs in that sense. But, um, I did wonder whether or not we could maybe switch switch it around and maybe have Bamford as one of those as, as one of those markers. Now, just because he's good at zonally marking a corner doesn't mean he'll be good at man marking a corner. So maybe they've tried that and he's not very good at it. Um, but I think in situations like we've talked about, he is one of our better headers of the ball, and it might be worth just trying him out there and then um, you know sticking someone else there who you want to decompress quickly. I mean, you could feasibly just have Rafinha on the on the front of the box rather than on the front post and just not have a front post marker. But again, that's causing another problem somewhere else down the line. But other than that, it's, it's, it's really tricky to, to know. Give away fewer corners. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which um, was another thing that was probably a problem with Alioski yesterday, which was, I mean, we had a few questions which were tongue in cheek saying who was, who was wishing that in that scenario where there was a potential Leeds United penalty, that we got the penalty rather than the corner, because we were probably going to be better at defending it, (laughs) which I think is probably, true um there's a level of, of of truth in that but um 
We had a question from the trainee RQT who said, who's the most consistently at fault when we concede from corners, i.e. losing their men, not winning the ball, etc. Ailing seems a fairly consistent culprit. You've already touched on Ailing, um, uh, Tom, but I wondered, Tom Alderson, if you thought there was anyone else who is... I mean, it, it, in, in some respects, I feel as though this is kind of like... This is this is not an issue of like digging out individuals because the problem is is that individuals are being asked to do things that normally you probably wouldn't ask them to do if they were in a different team. Uh, but is there anyone else that you thought stood out in that regard, Tom Alderson? I, I haven't really thought about this from previous matches, but based on last night, I think Lorente kind of worried me because I think he was. I just I was convinced he was going to give away a penalty whenever they got a set piece because he just seemed so preoccupied with his man that I thought he was. Like just going to pull him down or pull his shirt, and he was going to fall over. And that again, I'll just be him. Hopefully, getting used to the system. But I, we we had this discussion about set pieces quite quite a while ago when it was like that that pit, that run where we conceded every, like every game. Um, and it was just I think the reason that it made it was made better was one um, Mel- Melier started coming for the ball a lot more, and I think other teams have picked up on that. And I don't know if he's now. Like they're they're blocking him and he's kind of lost the confidence to do that or or what. Um, but I think Stroke tends to and I don't, I might be completely butchering this and making this up, but I think he just kind of gives his man a little bit of space. Where he doesn't get like as rolled as easy as the other players. Um, the other ones like they mark them so tightly that the minute they've lost them, that's it, they're gone and they're a free man. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm similar to Tom in this situation that I don't really know what I'm talking about. So, but that that's my <laughs> that's my answer to the question. <laughs> I I do have a little pet theory uh, about Urante because he does seem very um, easily riled, uh, and um, he, he seems to get angry with his direct opponent very often. Um, and I think we saw quite a similar thing with Patrick Bamford when he came into the team uh, after his long injury in the first season in Bielsa's first season, and I half wonder if it's Coming into a team that plays so intensely um, after having such a, a long layoff with injury um, and really wanting to make your mark and prove that you're up to the sort of intense physical standards of the team um, and almost going a little bit too far. Because I think Bamford was doing that a lot when he first came into the team as well. He was, you know, getting in involved in needless scraps and uh, trying to almost prove that he was the big man. And I wonder if there's a little bit of that going on with Llorente as well after just, just trying to prove that he's got what it takes sort of thing. I think as well when you're being encouraged to step up to the ball as well and and pressure opponents, it must just be really hard not to end up just being quite niggly in that respect. I think, you know, there's so many situations where you just, you see, especially Llorente sort of coming out and and stepping to the ball, um, which I I guess is normally normally good, but uh, one, it often leaves him out of position. and, and if if you don't win the ball and and two, I just think it probably adds to that that sort of sense where it, it becomes quite a combative approach to the game. And you know that's I think again that's what's good about about Cooper and Strauch is that they just sort of get on with it. Strauch is another player who is stepping up to the ball quite a bit um, and and doesn't actually jump in and 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 and, and um, give away fouls as much. I don't think, but Cooper certainly does, and and he sort of just lets it wash over him as well but it's probably just a, a personality thing as well but let's move on to I thought we would end the set piece um, section with a with a positive section uh, because El Barker says the first goal came from a throw-in that looked like it might have come straight off the training ground and I believe that the data shows us to be one of the most effective teams in the league when it comes to retaining possession after throw-ins is there anything interesting that we're doing in particular um, and I think you know throw-ins are technically set pieces so I thought it would be good to have a little bit of a chat about that um, so yeah do either of you have any thoughts on, on the throw-in situation? 
I have very specific thoughts on this. Um, I, I, <laughs> That's good because I have none. <laughs> I've been thinking about this uh, ever since the start of this season, especially, I think, because you watch most Premier League games and the team gets a throw in. And what you see is you see some players vaguely standing around and moving a bit and then someone throws the ball in. And when you watch us, it's usually like three or four players just kind of doing circles and overlapping each other, almost like, a, I don't know, like, like cars doing donuts in in a like a Tesco car park or something, <laughs> just just constantly doing these rotations. Um, and it, it it brings to mind that quote from John Joe Shelby after we played Newcastle, where he was saying to Rodrigo, "Hey mate, can you just fucking stand still for a minute or whatever it was?" <laughs> like, and 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 I think it's just an area that that Bielsa's obviously said, right, you need to be doing this movement all the time when we've got a throw in, and most teams just don't seem to do it. But I think I think it does really help. I think. We manufacture chaotic, advantageous situations from throw-ins quite often. Yeah, for sure. And it, what's really interesting, actually, I always listen to the games with the crowd noise off where I can. Um, and you just hear, you can sometimes see on throw-ins where, pe- they, where they don't move and you just hear the coaching staff bellowing for them to move. <laughs> and suddenly everyone kicks into gear and suddenly the, that sort of, uh, that, the sort of teacups at the fairground movement all starts off. And um, yeah, I think it's it's an extension of what we do so well in in open play right is that it's creating space finding movement uh, moving players so that other players can move into their space as well that's that's what's so important and as a result of that we just have we do create those those moments where the ball can just go back into play and we we move back into our um, scenario and uh, straight away so yeah i think that's that's what it is and it, you know if <laughs> if we had to do throw-ins by pinging the ball from 40 yards off the pitch into one of our players no doubt we would be rubbish at throw-ins but um yeah that's not what throw-ins are but tom tom alderson did you want to add anything on throw-ins i did see that same thing that um l was talking about that we are i think we were top in the league for uh, retaining after after throw-ins after chelsea who are obviously now coached by thomas tuckle another player another manager who is interested in um, positional play so movement off the ball to create space so i think that's probably where it comes down to if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with juvederm volbella xc and juvederm ultra xc your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com today that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with juvederm volbella xc or juvederm ultra xc do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
Right. One thing before we move into individual, well, I guess this is an individual thing, but sort of touches on the, on the game. Uh, Robin Koch came on midway, well, midway, <laughs> midway through injury time, quite late on in the game, but, um, came on in, in, in pretty much an eight role. So Owen Lewis says, good to see Koch make an appearance, even if it was very brief. What was his role when he came on? A bit of extra protection in any late set pieces. Um, and then how long before we start seeing him again, do you think? Uh, he says, Llorente makes me nervous, but he's had some good moments. So yeah, Robin Koch came on, I think, late on. And rather than mess up the the, the back line, so the two centre-backs and the, and the defensive midfielder, he just sort of played as an eight but sort of sat alongside Phillips for for the five minutes he was on the field but um yeah how how are we feeling about Robin Koch because this does raise questions about where where he's going to be played going forward he played 45 minutes as a as a DM against um Newcastle in the under 23s last week um so what's the what's the thinking on on Robin Koch Tom Alderson just to say, I did, I did really enjoy this question. It was probably, it was the most all stats on we question you can get. Like, what position did this R centre back that came on for three minutes at the end of the game <laughs> play when we were 2 1 up already? I was like, I did enjoy it. Um, for me, I would quite like to see Cock go back in instead of Lorente, just because I'd, whilst I, I do think Cock has that sort of moment in him as well where I think he's going to cause a mistake, but he has. He just worries me less than Lorente does. Like, I'm just waiting for Lorente to mess up the whole. Whenever I, I watch him, um, even if you kind of lose Lorente's passing, I just think he's a bit more, bit more solid. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him have a go at, um, at holding midfielder. Now, I, I do think that's. I, I do like Stroik there. Um, and you've said, John, that uh, Cox, Cox only played there in a double pivot. Um, and we haven't seen him play this role on his own before. But I think. Similar to sort of the left back situation, that maybe we, now that we are you'd safe, fingers crossed, that maybe we just give him a go there, and it might be something that works out. And if not, we can just um, not we're not try that again. I think what it'll be is that eventually someone's going to get injured again, and then Cock will come back into the team. I, I, um, I think we can be fairly assured that someone is going to get injured at some point soon. Um, so I'd be happy for him to just be reintroduced to the team slowly i mean i don't know if there are any under 23s games over the international break or not um but it would be nice to see hopefully um him get a few more minutes over the international break and really prove that he's he's back and fit and hopefully rodrigo can come and play some minutes in those as well and you know you never know adam forshaw um <laughs> uh, well, given that Adam Forshaw is nearly back, I now have an intimate knowledge of all of the uh, under-23s <laughs> fixtures that are coming up. So there is one early on next week, which which Adam Forshaw probably won't be showing up for. Um, so so bear that in mind. But um, that I suspect Koch will probably be given a, a game in that. And then the next one after that is after the international break. So it's quite a way away. So um, yeah, I, I, I think it was just about getting... Koch on the field, getting get him some some minutes. I don't think there's any necessary need to read in too much to to what position he's playing, um, because I just don't think Koch is is going to play in defensive midfield if if Phillips is available. I suppose you you've got it would, it would be nice to have that option of being able to play someone there if you want to keep Strauch in in the defensive line. Um, but I, I suspect the the scenario probably will be that. That when Cooper is back from his mystery illness, that is impossible to work out what it is. Um, that Cooper will be brought brought in, and then and then Strout will probably play that role if he needs to, just because he's played there more often. I don't see the need to to necessarily experiment with someone like Koch. Um, I've also, having watched a lot of Robin Koch in a defensive midfield position, 
I don't really think that he's maybe um, quite right for for the DM position. And I saw him play there for the under twenty threes as well. And I thought he was, I thought he was okay. But um, again, he's he doesn't strike me as being quite mobile enough for that position. Um, so it would be would be interesting to see. But again, it's it's just nice having options, isn't it? It's nice knowing that you know we don't have to completely deconstruct the team if if Phillips gets injured again. I also think now that we're sitting on 39 points after 29 games you know still got uh still got nine games to play there's absolutely zero reason to rush anyone back from injury we should be playing it ultra safe with anyone coming back from injury because you know what's the point in risking doing something worse i was quite surprised to see Koch brought on to be honest because i didn't i didn't think it was necessarily tactical it did just feel like we it'd be good to get him on the field just to to sort of get him in the in the the zone of things again. I didn't think it was like a tactical decision. I didn't think we necessarily needed him per se, but, um, and we were saying before the game, I was like, this just, I just can't see any reason that Cock would come on the field in this, in this game. And it, and he was brought in as an eight. So, you know, shows how much I know, but it, it did feel like a situation where Bielsa would normally bring Shackleton on at that point. Uh, he quite often brings him on for like two or three minutes at the end. And I suppose Cock can, he can, provide a body in the middle as as well as anyone else can which is all we really needed at that point wasn't it yeah and especially because we kept the two center backs there and we had Phillips on it just felt as though we were bringing on like a defender in an eight position just to sort of give him a bit of a run around it was there was no concrete reason for him to do that I think is 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 how it felt to me it was just sort of like here's a nice chance for us to bring bring on a a player and 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 just sort of having them running run around a little bit we don't really feel under any pressure and he'll help out at at set pieces as well so I don't think there's more to it than that yeah I think I just saw it that it's someone who's good in the air and you know if if they're going to launch long balls forward for the last couple of minutes it's nice to have an extra decent header of the ball Right, let's talk about Calvin Phillips. Um, so Kevin Fosside Bates said, we need to talk about how important Phillips is for us. The tackle before Rafinha's goal is just fantastic. Uh, and JC said, is there anyone in the Premier League you swap Calvin for? I can't think of anyone. Um, we've already talked a little bit about Phillips. I, I was saying, you know, these are the games where Phillips really excels in. Um, and I don't think, in terms of the game yesterday, I can't think of anyone who would be able to play that role as well necessarily. And I spent a lot of time um, recently uh, for, for my day job, sort of looking at the Leeds United defensive midfield role and trying to look at how Leeds could potentially use um, the man-marking system as a way of finding value in the market, uh, looking for market inefficiencies because Phillips's role is so unique. I think, you know, th- th- this complexifies, you know, the conversation about how good Calvin Phillips is, but um, I've looked around through a lot of markets, a lot of uh, a lot of leagues around Europe, and it's very very hard to find someone who is quite like Calvin Phillips, um, largely because no one's looking for players quite like Calvin Phillips, and so there's a real gap, I think, in the in the analytics um, slash scouting recruitment industry for maybe finding a player who would suit Bielsa's system because no one else is playing that way really. So um, I think yesterday is like a perfect example of why why Phillips is is absolutely great in our team. Um, Tom Alderson, do you want to wax lyrical a little bit about Calvin Phillips at the minute? Yeah, I'll answer the second question first. I'd probably swap him for De Bruyne if I had the option, to be honest. (laughs) Um, But no, he was, I think that was probably, maybe even his best game for Leeds yesterday, but I think it was definitely his best game of the season. Um, He just, he covered, I think he was marking Anguissa at first, wasn't he? And then he moved to Loftus Cheek, maybe I, I don't know. I think they dropped Angisa off, so we played. A, we, they were playing a four-two-three-one, and Angisa was sort of playing the ten role, and then they switched Angisa in for Reed. Reed went off, and they brought Loftus Cheek on, and he played the ten role. Yeah, yeah. So Angisa didn't really do much, and he was someone that I was worried about before the game. He he got a few 
chances to dribble, but he was kind of into areas where we, we couldn't cause prob- um, cause us problems. And the thing that he really impressed me yesterday is he kind of, he, when he wasn't man market, he kind of s- sort of snuffed out any danger um, when when he presented it. So he kind of left left his man and just like almost followed the ball, which can obviously sometimes cause problems, but it, he got it right pretty much every time yesterday. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, this comes back to the differences between the, the build-up in the first and the second half, because in the first half, I felt we, we lost the ball in transition quite a bit. And when that happened, we just had no one-man marking in the central midfield area, and they just came through really easily, and we gave away a few free kicks that way. And I think by playing in that counter-attacking way in the second half, it was it was just sort of like loft the ball into those central spaces with with our midfielders there and then do the counter press and then win the ball back and then suddenly you can break from there and I think that's one reason why Phillips looked really great in the second half because he's he's just so mobile and and so good at uh, uh, getting into those pressures that we I mean we said the second goal came from that um, as well Um, Tom Woodhead thoughts on Phillips yesterday yeah I mean I just echo everything that's been said Um, it it was a weird one because I, I, I haven't seen the stats but I got the impression he wasn't on the ball as much as he normally would be. Um, he didn't seem to be as heavily involved in build-up as he sometimes is, where we were tending to focus more on the flanks, I think. Um, but yeah, defensively, I thought he was superb. Um, and I think there's something to be said as well for the sort of developing partnership between him and Dallas in there, where I think more and more often they're leaving their men and letting the other of those two players um, take on the responsibility or Dallas kind of helping Phillips out when he needs to be helped and vice versa. So, yeah, I, I thought, it, as, as as you all said, it, he, he had a very, very good game. Yeah, I've been constantly refreshing the FB ref page for our game, but it's still not been coded up. So, um, unfortunately, we can't look at the numbers quite yet, which is a shame because it was a really interesting game, I thought. Um, and I think there'll be some interesting things that show up in the numbers, so we'll probably tweet those out rather than, than talking about them here. Right, from one great player and performance to another controversial Ooh, Tyler Roberts um Matt Keegan's would said Tyler getting better every game isn't he unfortunate to miss out on another assist needs to stay next season um Josh Hobbs has been winding people up on the internet talking about Tyler Roberts uh, all week and um yeah I guess another great game from Tyler Roberts where he just feels like a really solid player and um you know I think probably our best option in that slot at the moment especially in a game like the game yesterday um and look, I've I've always had, kind of had a, a soft spot for Tyler Roberts at times. He's made it quite hard to to necessarily justify that. But I think there's be, there's been games in past seasons where he's played okay, and we've just never seen him get that the sort of time and the and, and space, uh, t- sorry, time on the field to to actually be able to develop. And it feels as though this has been a really good period for him. I think in terms of just getting him used to the idea that he is going to be playing regardless of what happens because there's injuries. And I think that can be really really important for for players' development. We've seen it happen with Pascal Strauch. Um, he now looks like a, a solid Premier League centre back. Um, just because we've had injuries across the board. So I think the same is probably true of, of Tyler Roberts, but I'll, I'll let you guys talk us through this. So Tom, Tom Woodhead, what, what have you made of Tyler Roberts recently? I think he's just been so much better than he was at the start of this season and at the end of last season that to me, it feels ludicrous the amount of stick that he gets. Um, and I sort of get it because people want him, to, I think people want him to be something he isn't sometimes. Like um, I think he gets compared to players like Samu Saiz who have who played in that same position and had um, a sort of genius kind of vision 
um, for, for for playing a pass that no one else sees. And that's never going to be Roberts's game. But what he is great at is, is turning his man in midfield and breaking forward. And then suddenly we've got space that's like a counter-attack, even when it wasn't a counter-attacking situation. Um, and people always say that... Uh, well, people have often said in the past, uh, Leeds should counter-attack more. And one, mate, one way to make it look like you're counter-attacking more is by having players like Roberts in the team who can break through a press and can turn a situation that looks looks like one way you're going to have to pass it back to the goalkeeper into a situation where suddenly you've got four men attacking their box. Um, and he's been doing that better and better recently. He still makes the odd mistake um, or has the odd lapse of concentration. His passing can be erratic at times but I just think when a player is on is on an upward trajectory no matter what the baseline is I think you have to cut them slack as long as long as improve as long as improvements are being made all the time then what more can you ask for you can't ask for the speed of improvement to just keep getting faster and faster I think you I think with Roberts it's just a player who has been a lot better in the last five or six games than he was in the five or six games he played at the beginning of the season before Rodrigo came into the team and that's great, and let's hopefully hopefully you can carry it on and and kind of get better still. So much of this comes down to the fact that Leeds have cha- changed tactically, and I think this is a criticism that can be laid at our door. I think both Josh and I would admit that there's players who we thought haven't been good in the lead system, and then the lead system has changed this season. Um, Stuart Dallas is a, a classic example of that. Stuart Dallas never looked good in an eight in the championship. He looks brilliant at eight now because we've we've slightly doctored what it is that we want from our eight. We want a player in there who's going to be a bit more zonal, who's going to be a little bit more like a a defensive player, really. And it, yeah, okay, Dallas is not not the great greatest player going forward, but he's got goals of the season where he's needed to. He's been involved in 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 goal scoring chances as well, and I think that's that's really that's really uh, great. But I think we were reading that system in a certain way and he doesn't fit in that system but then the system's changed and suddenly he looks great I think Tyler Roberts is probably also a, a beneficiary of this sort of thing where our two eights need to be pressing in certain ways he's just been brilliant for that and we you know he's playing behind Rodrigo who is obviously a, a baller no one would disagree with that fact but when it comes to the system at the moment I would prefer to have Tyler Roberts in that system because off the ball he's just so much more important to us than than um, Rodrigo is and I think this is this is part of the problem with Leeds this season is that we've come in thinking we could largely play the way that we have played in the past and that's just not the case we've changed the we've changed this system for the time being now maybe it will change back when we get better players in but as things stand you, you can't bemoan Tyler Roberts for coming in being a player who's better at doing the sort of basics off, out of possession and maybe not being the sort of player that you want in that position from an attacking sense. Um, if if actually m- more of our, um, I guess, immediate uh, danger is coming from defensive transitions. And so uh, for me, that's what it comes down to. I'd ra- At the moment, I would rather have Tyler Roberts in that position than, than Rodrigo because we are largely in this league an underdog when we go into games. And um, I think that, that, that makes all of the difference. But You see, I think he's suffering in many of the, the same ways that Patrick Bamford suffered uh, in the championship in that people just don't value the things that he's doing well or don't value a lot of the things that he's doing well, especially off the ball and pressing and the way that um, he he is integrated into the pressing system in a way that Rodrigo... Rodrigo seems like he's just like floating off in his own little area of the sea in terms of the pressing. He'll, he'll do the right things sometimes, he won't other times, whereas Roberts, he will follow his man and when he needs to change and swap his man with someone else, he'll do it. And he... 
he just makes us so much more solid defensively, I think. That, and then, and people aren't always appreciative of that. Yeah, totally agree. Tom Alderson, did you want to add anything on Tyler Roberts? Yeah, I think he's probably... Because he, he's had... This is probably his longest run of games, I think probably since the end of Bielsa's first season. Um, and towards the end of that season, I thought I was a really big fan of Roberts. And actually, when he got injured... I think it was either the, before the Villa that the, it Villa, was the game. Villa game, and that was it was one of those things that I thought if we're in the playoffs, like I, I think we will miss him. Um, and I just think it's like you said, like giving a player that that run of games is it usually works out well for them. Um, and I would I definitely keep him next season, even if it's just for a, um, a backup to Bamford, if anything. Totally agree. Right, a couple more players to talk about before we before we finish. I realise time's moving on, but I do think both of these players warrant some discussion first one is Elan Melier who dug our players out a lot I thought yesterday in the first half um, the view from 27A said overall Melier has been excellent this season what part of his game does he need to develop next for me he could be more assertive in the six yard box at 6-6 six, six, he should be able to come for a lot of balls we are struggling to clear is this just a confidence thing um, Tom Alderson what do you make of Melier in, in terms of improvement he's so much better than any of us thought he was going to be really and like he was he was good um well, he, he did what needed to be done at at the end of the championship season, but he just come on um, so much this this year. And like like you said, the two saves, what well, the manager one, which was I don't I don't actually know how he managed to keep that out to be honest. And then I can't remember. So was it Angisa? Um, in that save as well. Like there were two two really good saves. In terms, I would like him to come for the ball a little bit more um, from corners more than anything, just to because I think when he does do it, it it does help us out. But I think, apart from that, I haven't really got many problems with uh, with him, really. For me, my biggest issue with him is probably in terms of distribution. Um, but other than that, like just, just no no issues whatsoever. Even, even coming out, yeah, okay, maybe he should come out a little bit more. But I think he comes out a lot as it is, in terms of if you look at the data behind that. He's one of the players who does come out the most in the Premier League, and he's got a decent success rate when he does. Um the other thing is that you think we can't just expect him to be digging out the team in every single area defensively. Like, <laughs> there's only so much one man can do. He does punch it a lot as well, and I think I think with time he'll, he'll learn when to catch it, and I think that'll really help us out as well. But this has been me being really overcritical of him. Like, I think it's he's a really good goalkeeper. Darren Driver said it might be worth talking about Melier's form since the Arsenal game. Alioski owes him a pint for that first half performance. I'd probably add Urente and Pascal Strout to that list as well. Um, it's a shame he won't be able to. Uh, he said, Darren said, I'm, it's a shame I won't be there to deliver the sermon. But how do you guys see his development over the season? So, Tom Woodhead, what, what do you make of Melier's development this season? I find it hard to view it in terms of development. I think he's been fairly consistently excellent. Has he got. He probably has got better as the season's gone on, but I think it's been a such a slow and gradual development that it's not something I've particularly noticed. I think he's just mostly been good. He's made the odd mistake. Um, it's interesting that you talk about his distribution because I agree that at times it can be a little bit erratic, but equally, I don't think it's bad. Um, and I think you, you, you'd struggle to get anyone that age bet, who has better distribution and is also you know solid in net, I think. So I, I, I just think we've really... I mean, whether you call it luck or whether you call it good scouting or whatever, I think it's a it's an inspired signing, really. Um, I think you are genuinely talking about someone who, in two or three years' time, could be worth like 70, 80 million pounds, which is a horrible way to talk about it, to be honest, but it's true. 
how else can we value things if not through the use of capital <laughs> at the end of the day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Finally, let's move on to talk about Jack Harrison because, you know, that was low key one of his best performances of the season as well. Again, good to talk about the sort of game that we we had him playing and we know that Jack Harrison is brilliant off the ball and I think that again that's another situation where um, again I, I'm saying personally I think I've been harsh on Harrison in the past because last season we, we largely needed a player who was going to be creative and and that was it really we didn't need to worry too much about the off ball stuff but this season he's been absolutely brilliant and it's one of those things where look at the moment we're, we're sort of scouting to try and find um, potential players to come in in the wide areas and one of the things you look for in, in these players is is their ability to be good off the ball their pressures their, their ability to tackle as well and there's so few people who are as good at Harrison at, at these sorts of things. So um, Mark Collins says, explain how Harrison can be that brilliant. Uh, and Neil Harding says, Harrison secured his first team status to the end of the season now, question mark. Um, Tom Woodhead, what do you make of Harrison? I thought I agree. He was absolutely exceptional um, against Fulham. And I, I have my sort of theory about Harrison is that the more involved in the game he is, the better he plays. I think the games when he doesn't play that well, I think it's when the ball comes to him quite sporadically, and uh, that's when he starts overthinking things a little bit. I think. I think if he if he's on the ball a lot and he's also involved in a pressing game often, I think he, his tendency to occasionally overthink and uh, make the wrong decision is greatly ameliorated, as as we always like to say. <laughs> Where's the clutch? Yeah, on on this on this podcast. Yeah, I, I I also think for a winger, he's got. A surprisingly high amount of upper body strength, which I think does really help with the pressing and, and helps, you know, he, he's just got broad shoulders for a winger. I mean, and maybe that's not quite so rare nowadays, but I think it does really help to have a player who is up to those sort of physical standards um, in our press. Yeah, he's pretty stocky, isn't he? I think that that makes a big difference. Low centre of gravity, but but also quite. He's not like a, a slight player by any stretch. No, and I think he was when he first came to Leeds. He was a lot more slight, and and he's. More than any other player, he's he's obviously put the work in to make himself better. I think uh, you see all these Instagram videos over the summer of him, you know, training in a or New York or wherever it is, and uh, and and you know maybe that's performative and him wanting to show that he's putting the work in, but he clearly is taking it very seriously. Yeah, Tom Alderson, how would you answer that second question? Would you think that Harrison has secured his first team status till the end of the season? I'd say yes, but I'd I'd still like Costa to to get minutes because I think there was a couple of runner games literally probably about a week or two ago where Costa looked a lot better than Harrison so these things can change so quickly um, but yeah I'd, Harrison does tend to always come out better um, in these debates and he's he's, pro- he's so much stronger than um, than Costa is on the left wing and I actually think last night was probably it was probably one of the best performances given when he moved over to the right wing I think that was more so in the second half um, and maybe when the game was opened up a bit but he he actually looked threatening from that side when usually the game could kind of pass him pass him by a little bit I thought the one thing that he did last night which is quite a bit of a criticism of him that he kind of sets himself against his fullback doesn't he? he's like my fullback's there I beat my fullback I get the ball in last night he didn't really do that he just was like I'll get the ball in and he just he cut out the all the stuff that's kind of the annoying bit of Jack Harrison at first, and I think that might be why he looked a lot better last night because he he was played really well. There was one moment where he ghosted past Angisa and and the fullback on on that side. I guess it was Robinson, and that was just really nice to see. But again, with this question, there also there always seems to be a tendency 
amongst the, the fan base to just sort of look for who's going to be the starting player in certain positions. And I think the point is, is that you have players, you have depth of players so that in certain games where it's going to suit one or the other, you can have that choice. And um, so for me, that this will come down to, um, you know, the, the sort of games that we're playing in. And um, I think Harrison did nothing bad for his his chances going forward of starting, but there will be games where maybe Costa would, will, will fit in a little bit better. Well, there we have it. That's the All Stats, aren't we, review of the Fulham game. It was nice to get those points on the board. And as Tom Alderson said, 39 points makes everything look pretty rosy in the world of Leeds United. So we are also um, gifted a, a couple of weeks break for most of our players, apart from uh, those on international duty. Uh, and also we're gifting ourselves a break, so we'll be off for a week. But do keep an eye out for Orta's list, which will be up on Thursday. It'll be 8pm on Thursday, as always. Um it will be a live stream, so subscribe to our YouTube if you don't want to miss that. We'll also be up on the Twitter account um, through Periscope. We'll be looking at players who can play eight, but we'll also be able to cover for Calvin Phillips if if he gets injured as well. So that's what to look forward to this week. We'll also have a bo- bonus Patreon episode out over the break too. So uh, if that sounds good to you, then head over to www.patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? But as it is, we're going to enjoy the week off. And um, as a result, I'm going to say thank you to Tom. Thank you. And thank you to Tom. Thank you very much. And enjoy the international break. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 